questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Secret schemes, concealed connections, pernicious power, intimate initiations, big banks and money manipulations, possible links to the Rockefellers, Rothschilds, Adamses, and Bushes. Tonight's special guest shines a light on the history, workings, continuing influence, and pernicious and hidden power of a secret order. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at VeritasRadio.com. And tonight, we discuss the Illuminati, the secret society that hijacked the world, which is the title of Jim Marr's latest book. Jim Marr's really doesn't need a formal introduction since he's such a frequent guest on this radio program. So directly from somewhere in the Lone Star state of Texas, here's award-winning journalist and author, Jim Mars. Hello, Jim, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Howdy, Mel. It's always a pleasure to be with you. It's always a privilege for me, and I'm so glad that you wrote an, yet another book. Excellent. I mean, there's some stuff there that, that I didn't expect to see, but you've written another great book now. Congratulations. About 20 years ago or so, I remember reading a book that had nothing to do with conspiracies. It was actually a very innocent personal finance book by Robert Kiyosaki. I'm sure a lot of our listeners read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He actually described the Illuminati in that book. What is your definition of the Illuminati, Jim? Well, it has changed and probably will continue to change. Um, but what, what surprised me is once I got into researching the Illuminati is that I've heard all the conspiracy theories and the, and the claims, you know, oh, they're behind everything. You know, you, you can't get a plumber on the weekend. It's because of the Illuminati, you know. And there's always, and I thought, well, you know, that's hyperbole. That's just, they're blowing stuff out of proportion. Yeah. They they don't really understand that the world is just kind of a messy place and stuff happens, you know, blah, blah, blah. But i got to tell you, Mel, after more than a year of investigating and based on 50 years of research, uh, yes, there really are a handful of people, if they are people, and that's another whole issue, who are trying to rule the world. And they do it, uh, they started off thousands of years ago. This is nothing new. This goes all the way back to uh, probably uh, the first global civilization, which uh, some people refer to as Atlantis. But uh, we don't know much about that, so we'll let that go. We'll bring it forward to the Sumerian uh, civilization, the civilization that arose in Sumer, S-U-M-E-R, which was uh, located between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers over in the Middle East, uh, and today is one of the few places on the world that we can't just freely travel to, and that's Iraq, okay? And in Iraq, uh, for for thousands of years, nobody even knew about the Sumerians, and and yet, in the mid-1800s, they began to investigate these strange mounds of rubble in Iraq, and they discovered an entire civilization there. And as they have now put it together, it shows that this was an incredibly uh, technologically advanced civilization um, uh, that far exceeds uh, anything we thought of at that time period. Uh, predates the Egyptians by a few thousand years. 
And in fact, the Egyptian civilization, I know when I was a kid, we were kind of taught in school that the Egyptian civilization was the world's first greatest civilization, but it turns out it was simply a degraded version of the Sumerian civilization. And and uh, where did it come from? Well, you know, we actually were told that. We're told that in the Bible. Uh, it came from Abraham, okay, whose original name was Abram, uh, or the wise one, the knowledgeable one. And he came from Ur of Chaldea. Well, Chaldea was just a biblical name for uh, Mesopotamia, Iraq. And Ur was one of the major cities of the Sumerian civilization. And uh, they had such an advanced knowledge of astronomy and of uh, agriculture and of political government, language, mathematics, you know, that it's absolutely incredible. In fact, we're, we're still using their mathematical system based on uh, the basic uh, 60, a uh, 60 number. And we're still using what they found uh, in their astronomy. We're still using their agriculture methods. In fact, uh, I was kind of interested to find out that the ancient Sumerians even recorded that they had four types of beer. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I, I bet one of them was not light. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, uh, but you know, and that, that shows that they had something really going for them. They had, they had some way of learning this information because wine, I can understand. You know, a caveman finds some uh, grapes on the, on the ground that's been there, and they ferment it a few days. And he's hungry. He eats them, and he gets a little buzz, and he decides, hey, this is cool. So he learns how to ferment grapes and stop them and make grape wine, you know, and make wine. But uh, beer? Beer requires a formula. Beer requires hops and malts and, and sugar, and you have to just put it in just the proper ingredients, and it has to be done just in its way, and it has to be fermented. You know, it, it's a formula. How, how did they learn that? Well, that and all of the other miraculous things that they had, they, they're open about it. They say they learned it from the Anunnaki. Well, who's the Anunnaki? Well, that translates as those who came from the heavens and landed on the earth. <laughs> okay, ancient astronauts, if you will. And, of course, there's a lot of people still poo-pooing that, but I want to tell you the evidence around the world is uh, quite compelling, if not overwhelming. And, of course, you have scholars uh, such as uh, Zacharias Zichin and, and many others who are supporting the uh, contention of the uh, journalist uh, Eric von uh, Dannegan. Yeah, who, you know, wrote back in the 70s, he said the evidence points to ancient astronauts, uh, you know, these people that came from the stars and landed here and uh, manipulated things on the Earth. And this is exactly what the Sumerians wrote down. In fact, it's really interesting, Mel. The story of the Anunnaki is actually told in the Encyclopedia Britannica. The, uh, the translations have not really seriously been argued with. It's just the interpretation. In the Encyclopedia Britannica, you find them under Sumerian myth. In other words, they were just stories made up by the Sumerians. But a growing number of people, led by Sitchin and others, say, no, <laughs> it wasn't just something they were making up. This is what they stated, and this is what they meant. 
you know, when they said these people could fly through the air and they landed and taught them how to do things, um, they weren't just making up stories. And uh, so from there we go on and we find out that, uh, you know, kingdoms arose, empires arose. And these people connected to in the Anunnaki, of course, they uh, pretty soon they're in the situation of Charlton Heston. <laughs> they're on the planet of the apes, okay? But they don't want to be just another ape. They uh, they know they came from somewhere else, and they know that they have knowledge. So they uh, there's a whole story there of how they uh, tweaked the DNA of Earth primitives. And uh, that's why there's no missing link between Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon, because they had their DNA uh, tampered with. And uh, that then came, of course, jumped right straight to Cro-Magnon or modern man. And so don't get the idea and don't let people tell you that we're created by aliens. That's not right. But they did tweak us. They improved the breed, just like we do with animals, with dogs and cats and sheep cows, horses. We breed them for the traits that we want. Well, you know, we do it through breeding programs. They did it through DNA manipulation because they had such an advanced technology. Well, pretty soon, uh, they just, there were so many humans, and they, they didn't really want to have to rub elbows with all of us, so they created a, uh, a caste of people in between who would uh, act as surrogates for uh, what was quickly becoming the gods. Because these ancient people, they see people fly through the air and they see that they're able to grow things, they're able to, to write, they're able to do all kinds of things. And they go, wow, these must be gods. And uh, the Anunnaki, after a period of time, decided that wasn't such a bad thing. But they didn't want to have to deal with us personally, so they uh, set up a uh, representative system, a caste system, if you will, or a priesthood. And since that time, they have uh, kept the human race conquered, divided, fighting with each other, and under tight control through two primary methods. One is religion, because these priesthoods that they created began to set up their own systems and call each of these Anunnaki their own gods. And then finally they got to where they said, okay, okay, it's only one god, but it's always an amalgamation of all the other gods. And of course, uh, throughout history, we've learned about the gods, uh, the Roman gods, the Greek gods. Uh, and what's really fascinating is that um, once you get past uh, the name changes, the, uh, the characteristics of these gods were so similar as to probably be identifications of the same entity, the same person. Uh, for example, um, in the Sumerian, the uh, the uh, Anunnaki who was put in charge of this planet of the Earth was Enlil. Well, in the Egyptian mythology, it's Set. In Greek, it's Zeus. And in the Roman, it's Jupiter. But they both fit the same characteristics. So they probably could be the very same person. His rival uh, in uh, the Sumerian was Marduk. In Egyptian, it's Horus. In the Greek, it's Ares. And in the Roman, it's Mars. And so just the names changed, but the characteristics didn't. And I think all this refers back to these spacefarers, the Anunnaki. 
Now, this was a secret that was passed along through the priesthood. They knew it. They didn't tell everybody else about it because, after all, they represented God. God told me to tell you, here's how you're going to live, and here's how much you're going to contribute to the church. <laughs> you know? And it became a money-making and, and power-wielding institution, and they didn't want to give that up. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I think you'll find this interesting. I sure did. The original Greek sky gods were called the Titans, and most people know that. But what they don't know is in the Sumerian cuneiform tablets, the word for those who live in the heavens is Titan. <laughs> so see how it all it, it, it all moves right along, and it's all uh, internally consistent. Well, so where did the knowledge of all this go? Well, it fell away from the average people. Only the priesthoods held it. Even within the priesthoods, they held, held their knowledge of the sky gods and of the, um, their technologies, held it very close. And as the priesthoods began to split up, uh, they became different secret societies. Um, and we find that there was a uh, pretty good variety of them. Uh, and some of these we know, some of them we don't even know. But this information, this knowledge of the uh, of the ancient astronauts, was passed down through such uh, organizations as the Rosh Hashanah, the Assassins, where the word assassin comes from, the the Jewish Kabbalah, the Essenes that apparently Jesus was uh, connected to because uh, in the Bible he, uh, which has been heavily edited. He criticizes and lambasts the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the two major Jewish uh, uh, religious hierarchies at that time. But it, it's, it's suspiciously, uh, you know, devoid of any criticism of the Essenes, which has led a lot of people to believe that he must have been one. We've got the mystery schools of Egypt and Greece. We've got the Rosicrucians, and of course, this knowledge was eventually passed down to the. Uh, legendary Knights Templars, and the Knights Templars brought it back to Europe, and from then on, it's just been you know uh, one religion after another and one schism after another. Uh, the Universal Church or the Catholic Church broke into uh, Catholicism and, and uh, uh, the uh, Christianity. Christianity yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then and then what we find is it's really interesting because uh, and it's always money, and money has been connected to the church all the way back because the priesthood found out that uh, they could get rich in <laughs> telling people you got to give some money to the, to the church, and uh, plus they became very powerful because they uh, the Catholic Church once they got created there uh, uh, in Rome and had the Roman Empire behind them. Um, in every little village, there was a priest, and you went and you confessed to the priest. So it was a modern-day NSA. <laughs> they knew everything about everybody. Right. Okay. Plus, they loaned money and gave uh, uh, their blessings to the uh, rich and powerful and to the royalty. And so, basically, it was the church during the Middle Ages that controlled everything. And always money and wealth was tied inextricably uh, uh, with uh, the, the, uh, the church. 
In fact, if you think about it, the the Prince of Peace, <laughs> Jesus, uh, you know, who always preached, turn the other cheek. Uh, the one time he got pretty vicious, <laughs> it was uh, bankers. When he threw, it was yeah, it was the money changers, the bankers. And if you'll think about it, Mel, were, were they in a bank somewhere? No, they were in the temple. Okay, so it's religion and money tied together. Um, Manly P. Hall uh, was a uh, high-ranking mason and a philosopher and had studied a great deal of this, and he pretty well laid it out. He says uh, in a pamphlet called uh, What the Ancient Wisdom Expects of Its Disciples, he says, in the remote past, the gods walked with men. Now, he's calling them gods. Uh, the evidence points to extraterrestrials, but it's just a matter of semantics, whatever you want to call them. They chose from among the sons of men the wisest and the truest, and these they labored with, preparing them to carry on the work of the gods after the spiritual hierarchies themselves had withdrawn uh, into the invisible worlds. And with these specially ordained and illumined sons, they left the keys of their great wisdom. These illumined ones founded what we know as the ancient mysteries. Okay? And as I said, these ancient mysteries split, and what they knew was that knowledge was all split and scattered among these uh, secret societies. So now there's just, as you see, if you've gone through my book, there's so much there. Uh, telling stories about how this came about, uh, how Solomon's treasure was recovered by the Nazis, uh, how the uh, medieval alchemists were actually onto it. They knew about there was something about transmuting gold, about the white powder of gold. And, and monatomic gold? Of, yeah, yeah, the monatomic gold and how that was probably produced by Moses. And this was what they used to uh, sustain the Israelites in their 40 years in the in the wilderness because they had this white powder that they would um, make, you know, put, add water and make into a dough and they'd bake it and they'd eat it and they, they said, what is this? And what is it in ancient Hebrew translates as manna. So this was the manna from heaven. Uh, about the Knights Templars, how they brought all the uh, information back to Europe um, and uh, they were spreading it through their uh, the uh, Freemason. Uh, societies that they created, okay, the stonemasons, which soon became just the Freemasons, uh, and it was divided into spe speculative operative masonry, which was people who actually were stonemasons and worked with uh, uh, building, um, and then the speculative masonry, which was just the, out, the, the ones that were not involved, and that eventually grew to be the largest segment of Freemasonry. And Freemasonry also was founded by the Knights Templars. So this is the thread that kept this underground stream of knowledge rolling along. Now, the Illuminati comes in because it was founded by a student at Ingolstadt University in Germany, which was not Germany at that time. At that time, it was in Bavaria, and Bavaria was just one of many German states. Prussia? Yeah, yeah. Pr Prussia uh, was one. Uh, um, I think he had uh, Baden, the, he had Saxony, uh, Hanover, uh, he had, uh, they were all separate. They didn't get uh, organized until about 1870, I believe. Are you talking about Adam Weishaupt? Yes, and Adam Weishaupt was a student at Ingolstadt University in the in 1770s. 
And in 1776... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.